Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is our playoff semifinal preview edition. We're very lucky at the Athletic to have beat writers covering a lot of the biggest schools in the country, and we have beat writers who cover all four of the programs in the college football playoffs. So we're going to hear from each one of them today as we get you ready for the semifinals on Saturday night. So let's get started. We'll start with the Cotton Bowl, and we're going to talk to Aaron Suttles about the number one Alabama Crimson Tide. He looks and throws, intercepted Alabama, intercepted Jordan Battle, down the left side, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Alabama! You know folks, the more things change, the more they remain the same, Alabama is still Alabama. Joined now by Alabama beat writer Aaron Suttles, and Aaron I think the casual fan is just assuming that Alabama has been destroying everyone all season right. and that the what they did against Georgia is representative of what they've done all season. And so my, my biggest question since that game has been, was that this team growing up before our eyes or was that just the best game this team has played? I think I think I think that's the million dollar question. And I don't – if we're being honest, and Nick Saban, we had him trapped in a room and we water-tortured him, and he were had to tell the truth, he'd say he didn't know. Because I don't think he does. I mean, I sort of asked Pete Golden yesterday about what we've seen from the defense of late. And is it just this team growing up, like you mentioned? Or because, Andy, they've been so inconsistent that it's not even game to game that we don't know what we're going to get. It's quarter to quarter. It's drive to drive. I mean, it's yeah. been like this all year. So this whole Alabama being the number one seed, I'm still shocked by it because they didn't play like a number one seed this year. Maybe that just speaks to college football in general this season. But I don't think anybody knows, even Nick Saban. Yeah, and, and it's there. There are teams like that. Like I remember being a beat writer covering the 2006 Florida team and sitting there at the SEC championship game, going, "They're going to put these guys in the national championship game." And then they destroy Ohio State in the national title game. Like, you, just, you just don't know sometimes what, what, what's in front of you because maybe they haven't put it all together. But, but you're right. Alabama has been, been very inconsistent. And the, the thing I'm interested in with, with Alabama against Cincinnati, because I, I know a lot of people are saying, well, oh, they'll just roll over Cincinnati. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be as easy as everybody thinks. With Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, who are that's probably the best cornerback tandem they've played. And then John Mechie's out. So they've got yep. Jamison Williams, who obviously is going to stress any defense. But Mechie yep. would be the other guy who would really stress the defense. Who has to step up and, and take – because it feels like it, you got to have a third option there because those two yeah. guys may erase your best two. Yeah. I think it's got to be Treshawn Holden or Ja'Cory Brooks, the hero from the Iron Bowl. Um, we'll see if JoJo Earl – who was sort of coming into the season was right there with Slade Bolden as as this co-starter at, at the slot receiver. If he's back healthy, um, it's got to be one of those guys. You know, Nick Saban said a Jai Hall, but a Jai Hall hadn't seen much of the field this year, and he's had maturity issues and going on Twitter and complaining. And um, but I think Trayshawn Holden was for a Jai Hall. I mean, and that's and that put pressure on him, um, and he he didn't get to play as much, so that spiraled out of control, but. Treshawn Holden, we've seen in the Iron Bowl. We saw him against Georgia in the SEC Championship. We saw Ja'Cory Brooks. JoJo Earl um, has got the experience from early in the season before he got hurt. 
it's got to be one of those guys. I mean, there's no magic transfer. I mean, they'd love to go into the portal and get a guy right. that can play in this game, but that's that guy's just not out there. So it's got to be one of the young guys. JoJo and Slade sounds like the best buddy cop movie in the history <laughs> of the world. And what's funny about it, you feel bad for Slade because every time they put him back on punt, the return a punt, people are like, why, why isn't JoJo out there? Like, Slade's not going to make anybody miss. Like it's almost like this embarrassment to, to Slade that he's had to deal with, but Slade stepped up against Auburn and caught one of those. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or a two point conversion in the iron bowl, one of the overtime. So he's got the experience edge. Well, and, and that's the thing. Alabama has the experience edge over all of these teams in the playoff because they've all been there. The, the difference makers on this team have all played the play. Even Jamison Williams was on a playoff team last year, just right. a different playoff team. But they've all been in this situation before, and none of these other teams have. Yeah. And I think that matters a little bit in the week and how you handle it. But once the game kicks off, I don't think it matters. One of the X's and O's things, I'm curious, and I mean, you you have much more of insight into X's and O's than I do, but do you think that Sauce Gardner is just going to shadow Jameson? Or is he he just going to play his side of the field? That that's that's a curious thing, and and, and so we, we talked to Justin Williams for this show too, our, our Cincinnati beat writer, and and he had the same question because you know it, it's it's interesting because Kobe Bryant won the Jim Thorpe Award, but everybody who's watched Cincinnati will tell you Sauce Gardner is the better corner. Do you feel like you need to have him follow Jamison Williams, or are you confident enough in Kobe Bryant that? Whoever gets yeah. matched up on him can hit because I, I I think if they're in a situation where they feel comfortable where whoever gets matched up on him can handle him and they they play adequately against him that opens up a world of possibilities for Cincinnati's defense in terms of trying to get pressure on Bryce Young mixing some yeah. things up to to confuse him I I think that might be the most telling thing if I I would assume like if I'm Luke Fickle I would try it just to see if I could pull that off. And if, if Jamison Williams starts, you know, causing problems, then you, you switch things up. But yeah, if you could just have them come out one, be the, you know, one play where he normally plays and the other play where he normally plays and you, and you don't have anybody just running wild on you, that gives you a better chance of getting to Bryce young. And, and it seems to me, you know, Auburn game, a and game, those are the ones where Bryce Young faced the most pressure, where his yeah. his ability to keep plays alive in the pocket seemed to be negated. And I, I feel like that's the only way you can beat Alabama. Yeah, if you can replicate what LSU did, what Auburn did, and and they got the guys at secondary to do it. Like Auburn had Roger McCreary. Well, yeah. Cincinnati's got two of those guys. So, I mean, that's the blueprint. I was it's a little curious that Georgia didn't try more of that and that maybe – they know more. Maybe they didn't for a reason. I assume Kirby and Dan Lanning well, that, want to win. All, all the Georgia folks said all year that, that the secondary might be the weak spot, but nobody ever challenged yeah. the secondary because they couldn't. Yeah. They didn't have time to throw. <laughs> right, they didn't have time. And another thing, looking at the, the just sort of the matchups in this game is, you know, against Georgia, Alabama had relatively unknown Seth McLaughlin at center. Mm-hmm. Well, Darian Dell was back. So yeah, do you put doubt? back at center or do you roll with the hot hand and Seth McLaughlin who did it? Well, he got destroyed on one play by Jordan Davis, but Jordan Davis destroys a lot of guys. But yeah. I was say, he part, didn't get destroyed on most plays. He, th- th- yeah. that, that was, was the good. best that line had played all season. I mean, they, they were moving guys in the run game. Uh, they yeah. were picking up whatever Georgia threw at them. 
that was that was impressive because you know I go back to that A and M game and there were times when they A and M did a lot of stuff to confuse them. It wasn't it wasn't a case so much of players winning their individual matchups. It was more scheming guys open and getting free yeah. runs at Bryce Young. And even in that game, I mean Alabama lost, but Alabama still scored thirty eight that game. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was. So, and that's that's the thing. I mean, Cincinnati. It feels like we'll need some, we'll need some bounces to go their way. We'll need some turnover or, or big special teams plays, that sort of thing. But I am curious. Desmond Ritter, probably, if we had to rank him among the quarterbacks Alabama's played all season, I'd say probably t- number two behind Matt Corral. Yeah. But Alabama shut down Matt Corral. Yeah, he seems to fit in the profile of quarterbacks that they give Alabama a hard time. Um, and I would be really worried if I was Alabama because I don't know right now. I mean, we talked to Pete Golden yesterday, and he says that Jalen Armand Davis has practiced, and it sounds like he might play. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of told last week that he might not. So I don't know whether he's going to play. We know Josh Job's out. He had surgery on a yep. on the toe. So you're potentially down your two starting corners. And now you've got Kool-Aid McKinstry, one of the best names in football, five-star guy who's played pretty well. And then behind him, you know, do they, do they move Brian Branch? From, uh, from basically the nickel to, to play starting corner. They bring in a, a relatively unknown guy. So um, it, it would seem that Desmond Ritter is facing the best version for him of this Alabama secondary that he would. When you give Alabama fans the shakes when you mention thin at corner, you go back mm-hmm. to that national championship game against Clemson Ooh. with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross just picking on uh, on guys as, as they got – Saving you know, Smith's name, Saving Smith – Got destroyed the game. <laughs> I, I I feel bad. Like it's too, but it's still not a. It's not an NFL player. Like I feel I feel terrible just pointing out. But it was it was awful. There was one play yeah. where Justin Ross caught the ball and and yeah. you know I, I don't think it was Smith on that play actually. I forget who it was, but basically just crumpled to the ground. Well, <laughs> That was Smith. It was okay. Smith. As, as he laid there, ran by. <laughs> and I don't know if he laid there because he was hurt or he was just embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, Justin Ross. So, yeah, Cincinnati does have a chance to take advantage of that. But what Alabama does have that I feel like is unique for Alabama in the Saban era is an every down pass rusher that can make something happen all the time in Will Anderson, because you've seen good pass rushers before, uh, you know, Upshaw back in the day, uh, Tim Williams when, when he was, when he was there, but it was more situational. Will Anderson's right. coming every play. Yeah. He's three down. He's a three down linebacker out on the outside and he feels fresh. You know, he went on sort of that award banquet tour that all these award guys go on after conference championship games. So, I think he, you know, having that time off from no practice, he feels a little fresh. I think he's playing really confidently right now. And how could you not be coming off the season that he had? And I think, you know, Dallas Turner has reached a level on the other side. If we could go back and redo, I I just wonder how much of a difference a healthy Christopher Allen. We saw it Mm. for about a quarter in Miami, the Miami game. But those two guys would have been tears this season. And and it took a while for Dallas Turner. You know, first it was uh, Drew Sanders they gave that opportunity to, then he got hurt, and so now it's kind of Dallas. But Dallas has grown into that role, and I think helps take a little bit of pressure off. Well, you still have to chip and give most of your attention to Will, but you can't as much now because Dallas has grown too. 
Yeah, and I do wonder if that group can help take the pressure off those corners because that that's the thing. The, the longer Ritter has, the, the bigger the problem, the depth at corner yep. becomes. And, you know, if Will Anderson's in his face, that's a little bit different story. So, uh, you know, it, Alabama used us predicting that Georgia would, would destroy them to its fullest advantage. Now, yes. I realize that they're really great at faking people saying that they're the going to lose, but the best is there still some residual. Can they still kind of residually use that? Remember how people were doubting you last month? They're still that. Does that still actually work? It, they're actively using it. Will Anderson said yesterday, he feels like they've been disrespected all year. So I wrote a column about it. It's up today at the athletic. If you want to check it You're out. A two but touchdown favorites. It's ridiculous on the face. And you can speak to this because you've been inside a locker room. You know how insular, how insulated that can be. Yes. But the fact is they are a two-touchdown favorite. So that on the face, it seems ridiculous. It is utterly absurd for them to say that. But they have heard criticism all year long. I've said it. You've said it. We've all said it, that they're not as good as past Alabama teams. So they they keep hearing that, and they just use it. They yeah. They've used that as disrespect. And then they actually got to play the real underdog card versus Georgia. And so they're not going to give it up. They're just going to keep rolling it as long as they can roll it, no matter how ridiculous and annoyed people get on the outside. They don't care. All they all they know is you guys don't think we're as good as we've been in the past. That's disrespect. We were underdogs. That's disrespect. That's the way we're playing it. And I think that's just a, it's a natural instinct for really good athletes. They, they need to feel some resistance. Like they need, they just need – whether whether they invent it in their own minds or whether it actually exists, they they got to feel that resistance. So the last uh, dance with Michael Jordan taught us if we didn't learn anything else is that yes. what elite athletes will do, how far they'll go to create this adversary, even if it's invisible, to get themselves ready. Well, I, Scott Cochran's gone to Georgia, so his uh, his quoting the national media as uh, that was the best. It, like I, I, I'm guessing they've gotten more sophisticated. Like there's, there's probably some analyst who used to work for a newspaper who can perfectly make up the quotes now. For those who don't know, 2015 Peach Bowl, um, Holly Rowe from ESPN got inside the locker room and took pictures of made, literally made up quotes oh, yeah. that they made that and attributed them to the national media. And I, I linked to that in my column today. I mean, just how far Alabama will go. To, to, to that end like every single person who has a national platform including like wolf blitzer said that <laughs> it's unbelievable so it's crazy but it's it's a time time honored tradition that i bring i brought up that that 06 florida team before same thing the, their strength coaches did exactly the same thing going into that ohio state right. game and they were they were a heavy underdog in that game but they like i remember one of the gas telling me he's like yeah, there were plenty of quotes to say we would lose, but we made them worse. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. And like players aren't media savvy. They, I mean, some are. Some know. Well, they also don't want to be in this situation. They want they want to feel that chip on the shoulder. So whatever helps them, they're going to take it. Absolutely, they are. And you know, Alabama players aren't used to having guys in the media guys in the locker room. So. It makes it awkward sometimes for us in these bowl games where those are open because some of those really believe. I remember one time, I think it was, and I understand because you, you know they had just lost a national championship game to Clemson, literally on the last second to Deshaun Watson and Hunter mm-hmm. Renfro. But like Ronnie Harrison had to be physically restrained from coming after the media. He was that angry, 
And so sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable. These made up quotes can really <laughs> yeah. could have caused some major damage for us. <laughs> well, I never want to be, I, that's a, I always feel bad in the locker room after, after a last second loss. Cause yeah. you don't want to, yeah. you, you try to maintain a respectful distance. Let's put it that Absolutely. way. If somebody doesn't want to talk about it, they don't need to talk. No, about it, it. <laughs> listen, you know how much work goes into those to get to that point and to lose like that. You've literally had your heart. So you, yeah. you feel bad when you go up to a player to ask him a question, but it's the job. And you yeah. try to go to the players that you have relationships with because they understand. Listen, there, there's some to, guys on the beat. And you come respectfully, too. That's that's the other thing yeah. is, is I've seen it. I, I covered the, the Stanford-Oklahoma State Fiesta Bowl, and yeah. I think it was the Stanford kicker missed a, a kick at the end of the game. And basically, there were Stanford players protecting the kicker to keep him from being yeah. asked questions or harassed about it. And I was fine with that. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but but I've got you situations. You approach it respectfully. Like yeah. You don't, I'm not going in there to, I don't know. I, I just have some, have some humanity in that moment. Oh yeah. Is all I say. Absolutely. And, and there will be that moment. Now it'll be on zoom at this point. So it, it won't be as the, the, the interactions will be awkward in a different way after these right. games, but there will be two teams where their dreams have been destroyed at the end of the night. Yep. And it's, it's tough to see that, but you know, Aaron, Alabama is a big favorite in this game. What do they have to do to make sure it doesn't go off the rails for them? Because it, it, it would be the biggest upset, maybe in the history of college football. If yeah. They lose. Yeah. I, I think they have to one, they have to respect Cincinnati. That's the biggest thing. Uh, and that, that takes place before the game's even played. You're in respect to them and how you prepared getting ready for them. But two, I think it's the offensive line and, you know, Brian Robinson, I'm not saying he's 100%, but he's much more healthy than he was um, against Georgia. Um, so if they can run the ball, I think that takes a ton of pressure off Bryce and those receivers. I think that's the main thing. And then defensively is just don't have those mental busts sometimes that we've seen. We haven't seen as many this year as we did last year. But those mental busts in the secondaries that give up easy scores, if they can eliminate those and play solidly on the offensive line, they should be, they should be in a good position to win this game. But as we've seen, you know, 13 times this season, you don't know what you're going to get from Alabama. And that's what makes it all so exciting. Aaron Suttles, thank you so much. Have fun in the Cotton Bowl. Will do. We'll be right back with Justin Williams to talk about Cinderella. That's right, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Cats up by 15 points. Toon reaches up to make a one-handed catch. Hands it off to Marcus Jones. He is tackled at the 34. And it is over. Zero losses. Zero doubt. The UC Bearcats are unbeaten. Unbelievable. And undoubtedly deserving of their spot in the four-team college football playoff. Yes, sir, they are. We're going to be in it. 
Joined now by Justin Williams, who covers the University of Cincinnati Bearcats for The Athletic. And Justin, this is a place that I feel like Cincinnati, they thought they were going to be here all year. But when they actually got in, and it's actually against Alabama, did, did that change anything for the Bearcats? Yeah, it's funny. I, I think whether it's the team or kind of people around the program, they definitely thought they could be here. Like that was kind of the the talk, at least within Cincinnati circles before the season started because of the Notre Dame game. And at the time, the Indiana game, which didn't really end up helping them out all that much. But, you know, then as the season went along, especially those first rankings came out and I think they were sixth, and that was after the Notre Dame win. And that was kind of a gut punch. Um, but as stuff started falling into place and like there was a path there, I, I think even going into that last weekend, you know, knowing that if Oklahoma State would have won it, it could have changed some things. Uh, there was there was a big belief that they were going to end up in the playoff. I honestly don't know that, you know, th- they cared too much about whether it was the four seed or the three seed or, or Alabama or whoever. At, at that point, I think it was just like the fact that they knew if they win that AAC championship game, they're getting in. Um for the fan base and, and the team was, was just kind of the, the main focus. But, you know, I've said this the past month or however, you know, long it's been since this got announced. It, it feels fitting, though, for them that, you know, if they're going to play this kind of underdog Cinderella role, regardless of what Will Anderson from Alabama um, might say about Alabama being the underdog, it just seems fitting that Cincinnati has to face Alabama when they get to this point. Yeah, it's it. it is basically – you know, it, it, that's, that's what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted the Cinderella versus the, the Giant. And Alabama, I guess, wasn't the Giant till they beat Georgia. And now, now they're the Giant. They, they, uh, uh, you know, Alabama is still Alabama, I think. It was the, the end of the radio call there. So going into this game, you've got Luke Fickle, who has coached in these kind of games before while working at Ohio State. Uh, you've got... Desmond Ritter, who has played a lot of big games as a starting quarterback. You you have Jerome Ford, Alabama transfer. <laughs> you know, their, their best tailback. Probably the best tandem of corners anybody has in the whole country in, in Kobe Bryant and, and Sauce Gardner. What can Cincinnati do to prove that it belongs in this game? Yeah, I think for for Cincinnati fans, that's part of the frustrating part is, you know, uh, the team's gotten to this point and, and now it feels like if Alabama, you know, comes in and kind of hands it to them that it, it's going to, it's going to be the, well, they didn't, since I didn't deserve to be their group of five didn't deserve to be there, which is unfair because, you know, Alabama just whooped Georgia a, you know, a few weeks ago, who was, you know, the right. number one team and kind of everyone was crowning as the champion. So like, this is what Alabama does. They beat really good teams and they've done it a lot in the playoffs. Uh, so I don't, I don't think Cincinnati has to prove anything when they get there. It is. It will be interesting. They played Georgia in the Peach Bowl last year, and anyone who watched that game or paid attention, like Cincinnati should have won. Georgia was trying to win that game. Uh, so any narratives like about that, I, I don't. You know, other than Cincinnati should have, should have won that game, don't fit. They went on the road and beat Notre Dame, so they've been in kind of these marquee top level matchups. But Alabama still feels different, especially when you're in the playoffs, especially when you're giving Nick Saban a month to prepare. And you know, personally, I'm really interested to see like. Does how does Sauce Gardner match up with Jameis Williams? Because yes, Sauce Gardner is great, and even though Kobe Bryant won the Thorpe Award, I think anyone that watches Cincinnati will tell you Sauce is actually the best cornerback on the team, even if he wasn't right. you know, named the best cornerback. The, the NFL country. will tell us that in about four months, exactly. Yes. And he's going to be a first round pick or, or a you know a very high NFL draft pick. 
but he's I don't think he's ever played a, a receiver of Jamison Williams caliber. Do they does, do they have Cincinnati have saw shadow Jamison? I think that'll be really interesting. Does Alabama try and go away and try and get Jamison matched up with Kobe Bryant or someone else and kind of avoid Gardner like a lot of teams have done in the past? So there's little interesting things um, within the game. You know, Desmond Ritter is going to be a high NFL draft pick. How does he look against Will Anderson and a really good Alabama defense that again is you know maybe better than anything he's faced outside of Georgia last year in the Peach Bowl? Uh, I think for people that are just kind of casual fans and don't realize the amount of NFL talent the Cincinnati team has, that'll probably get talked about a lot on Friday. And I think that'll be maybe a wake-up call for people that kind of view this as just this group of five underdog team. But in terms of the broader, like, do they belong and, and how will they fare against Alabama? I'll be honest, like, I'm, I'm really interested to see it. I, I certainly think Cincinnati has the talent and ability to hang with Bama and beat them. But we've also, like I said, seen Bama really take it to really good teams in this situation. I was reading one of your stories and I thought something that, that Greg Scruggs, the, the D line coach from Cincinnati said was really interesting because, you know, everybody assumes, okay, they're going to watch film and, and they'll, they'll see that Texas A&M got tons of pressure on Bryce Young, that Auburn got tons of pressure on Bryce Young and Scruggs who, you know, he, he's got two Super Bowl rings on his fingers when, when he wants to, when he wants to wear them. So he's, he's been in huge games before. He's like, listen, guys, they're going to fix the things that caused a&M and Auburn to get pressure. The key is finding something different, finding something that nobody's seen before and, and doing what we do to take advantage of that. And I am curious, do you think it's possible for Cincinnati to get pressure on Bryce Young? Because that was one thing that Georgia, which was a good pressure team all year, couldn't do at all. Yeah, no, it, it will be interesting. And that's, it's funny for Cincinnati fans. A lot of them are really grasping to that Auburn game. Uh, the Iron Bowl that Alabama played before Georgia, because yeah. like if Alabama looks like that, Cincinnati can can win. Um, not as much fun watching Alabama destroy Georgia if you're a Cincinnati fan no. uh, a week later. But yeah, Cincinnati, you know, they had eight sacks against Houston in the AAC championship game, and I I get it. Houston's not Alabama, but Houston's a really good team this year. They have a really good offense, and. Cincinnati does. They have a really deep, experienced defensive line. MyJ Sanders is going to be an NFL draft pick. Um, they have two six-year players who like came back for their you know COVID year this year. Curtis Brooks, Marcus Brown, Curtis Brooks is the first-team All-Conference player. Uh, so they have a lot of depth and experience. And you know the one thing they have going for it that even maybe Georgia didn't have is they have those really good corners. They have a really good safety in Brian Cook. So everyone's kind of focusing on how well sauce and, and Kobe do against, you know, Jameson Williams and and how, you know, Bryce Young's passing attack. If they can just give that defensive line a little extra time because of how good those corners are, then maybe the defensive line gets to Bryce Young and kind of gets him off his mark. And that then, you know, that helps the back end. That helps uh, the linebackers, Darian Beavers, Joel DeBlanco. So I, I think if Cincinnati can get to Bryce Young, that might end up being you know, what people look back in retrospect and say that that was kind of the key to, to Cincinnati having a chance to win that game. So let's put this in a historical perspective where, where Cincinnati is because, you know, Cincinnati has been a good program for most of the century. The one period where it was not very good was when Tommy Tuberville was coaching and he left behind a, a really depleted roster. How amazing is it that Luke Fickle has gotten them here based on what he took over a few years ago? Yeah, it, it's even more impressive. Cincinnati's recruited really well since Fickle's got there. They've been, I think, the top group of five, you know, recruited in terms of recruiting rankings, top group of five team three of the last four years or something like that. But what's really most impressive is 
especially early on in this stretch under Fickle, he did it with a lot of Tuberville players. And in some aspects, is still doing it. You know, Desmond Ritter was uh, a Tuberville recruit that basically yeah. Fickle re-offered re when, when he took the job. Curtis Brooks, you know, first team all-conference guy I mentioned, he played for a year. He, he was here He was here before Fickle. He played under Tuberville uh, last season at Cincinnati. Um, and there's there's a few guys like that, less so now this season, year five under Fickle, but those first couple of years when they were winning 11 games. It was a lot of Tuberville guys who basically Fickle just developed, Fickle and the staff developed and were able to play much better than they ever played under Tuberville. So, you know, as much as, as well as they've done recruiting, that kind of gives you a sense of the development aspect of this staff and the X's and O's, you know, aspect of the staff. Marcus Freeman, before he went to Notre Dame, was kind of notorious for either changing the defense or literally moving guys around, you know, moving guys from defensive end to linebacker. They've moved guys from tight end over to linebacker the past couple of years. Um, and so I, I give a lot of credit to the staff, you know, not just for recruiting, but the way they've been able to maximize the the talent that they have and, and put guys in the right spot. And you can go through each season um, and kind of really highlight the ways that they did that, that if you would have looked at the roster when they took over after Tuberville, no one would have expected them to be able to do. So how much, how much of them being just a very old team can help them in this situation? Because obviously they've not been in this spot. Most of the Alabama contributors played in the playoff last year. They've, they've been here. They understand what it's like. But how can, how can being old and having played as many games as they, they have kind of help shorten that learning curve there? Yeah, I think that's got to be a, a bonus for them. I think it has been all year because when they were, when Cincinnati was having that struggle period where they were playing Tulane and Tulsa and winning but not looking great, I think a lot of those were games where if you don't have a lot of four, five, six year players, you, you might drop one of those. Um, but because Desmond Ritter has won 40 plus games as a quarterback, like he, he's able to kind of make a big play when you need it because they have a bunch of seniors on defense. And really that window got extended after the Peach Bowl. Last year was kind of supposed to be the end of that window. Desmond Ritter could have gone to the NFL. My Jay Sanders could have gone to the NFL. Um, but then they get guys like Kobe Bryant and Curtis Brooks back with the COVID year. They get some of those, you know, other, other players back for their senior year and it's kind of extended them. And it's really been a benefit for them this season. So I think that's going to help. And I also just think the, the mentality, you know, I wrote about this, I guess, last week, this team is much more comfortable in that kind of underdog role that that really defined the first few years under Fickle. And, you know, Greg Scruggs talked about that uh, a little bit when he gave me the quote about, you know, he played in the NFL. They're, they're just college kids. I'll, I'll still eat their lunch. That's yeah, more of the, exactly. that's more the mentality of, of kind of this team, which is like, I don't care that they're Alabama. You know, Greg Scruggs was flipping that a little bit because he has that NFL yeah. pedigree. But the mindset he's trying to infuse his team is like, you can't be scared because they're Alabama, you can't be scared because it's the playoff. And so there's definitely going to be some jitters. There's definitely going to be, you know, some guys who maybe the moment feels a little bit too big in certain spots of the game. But I think you're right. Like Desmond Ritter's not going to be scared. Um, Alec Pierce isn't going to be scared. Jerome Ford, who knows all the guys on the other sideline, is not going right. to be scared. And you could, yeah. yeah, and you could say the same thing about, you know, a lot of guys on the defensive side too. So that experience um, is, is certainly going to be, I would think, uh, a positive for Cincinnati in this game. All right, put you on the spot. Cincinnati shocks the world if what happens? I think Desmond Ritter has to play really, really well. I was talking to Aaron Suttles, who I, I know you're going to talk to too, and you know, anytime Alabama has lost, it's because they played against a really good quarterback. Zach Calzada played the game of his life. 
Right. No other game looked like the game he played against Alabama. Exactly. Right. And the, the other thing, the thing with Ritter that that I, I find interesting is, you know, you look at Alabama, the best quarterback they played all year was Matt Corral. And and Ritter is probably, you know, they're, they're one and two of the quarterbacks Alabama will have played. Matt Corral is probably the, the guy Alabama had the best game against. That's true. And, you know, so, yeah, you could look at it from that side. You could go back, like you said, Zach Calzada. You could go back to Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson in playoff games when Alabama has struggled. It'll be interesting. I, I do think a lot of this will, you know, kind of rest on Ritter's shoulders. And the mm-hmm. encouraging thing for Cincinnati fans is he's capable of, of having a great game, of going out and, and beating Alabama. So it's definitely on offense, whether it's him throwing or running, I think Desmond Ritter is a big factor. And, and on the defensive side, I, I do think it's can they get pressure on Bryce Young because – you know, the times when he's looked a little bit more mortal is, is when he's been moved off his mark and, and kind of scrambling a little bit. And because of how good they are in the secondary, I think that could, if they can get him frazzled a little bit in the backfield, that'll really help their chances of preventing those those big plays or the Jamison Williams slant that goes for 70 yards or something like that. Right. And then they're, they're going to have to get a, like at least one big break, maybe a couple breaks, whether it's a, you know, a good bounce turnover or we've seen Trey Tucker have success as a kick returner and run some back. Like they blocked a couple of punts this year. They blocked a couple of field goals. Cincinnati has this year. They're going to need kind of like one other kind of major momentum swinging thing, I think to help them out. And again, it, I've said all along, I think Alabama can win this game without playing their best game. I don't know that Cincinnati can, but we've seen what Cincinnati is capable of when they do play their best game. And I think if they do that, they're capable of beating Bama. Justin Williams, thank you so much. Enjoy Dallas. Thanks, Andy. When we return, we move on to the Orange Bowl, Michigan versus Georgia. Talking Wolverines with Austin Meek when we return. Stroud and Henry. Here we go. This is the fourth down. This is the football game right here. Fourth down and long. Back to throw. Ojabo gets back there, forces Stroud out. Throw the ball down. That's caught, but it's short of the first down. That's it. It's caught. Vincent Gregg covering. It's caught by Olave, but it's five yards short of the first down. That'll do it. Under a minute to play. Ladies and gentlemen, Wolverine Nation, the long drought is over. Ohio State is vanquished. The Wolverines are going to win this one. We welcome in Austin Meek, our Michigan beat writer, and the Wolverines ready to play Georgia in the Orange Bowl, a spot that not many people thought they'd be in at the beginning of the season. But once they beat Ohio State, it became very clear that this is a a team to be reckoned with. And the matchup, Austin, I feel like, these two teams are pretty similar. It, it feels like they, they they value the same things, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do think they are mirror images in a lot of ways. Teams that don't necessarily rely on dynamic quarterback play to get the job done. Uh, te- teams that play really good defense. Teams that want to want to run the ball. Um, I'll be surprised if this is a high scoring game. Uh, and I think. You know, for Michigan, it's just a matter of can you make enough plays against that Georgia defense uh, to to have a chance to win the game? I, I think Michigan's defense does match up pretty well with Georgia's offense, but it's it's going to be a tough road for Michigan's offense for sure. Well, the thing is, though, I, I go back to the Big Ten championship game, and and Iowa's defense, while not 
probably not having the NFL caliber talent that Georgia's defense does was a really sound defense all year that did not give up any big plays hardly. And Michigan hit him for two big plays early. And it feels like Michigan's offense is maybe a little more dynamic than we've given them credit for. Who are the guys that, you know, if they if they get loose, that Georgia really needs to worry about? Yeah, Josh Gaddis talked about that this week, about the evolution of Michigan's offense this year. Because, yeah, it's, it's not exactly – it doesn't exactly match up with the perception because I think a lot of people think of Michigan's offense as being like – kind of old school three yards cloud of dust type thing, but Michigan's offense can be explosive. Michigan leads the leads the nation in plays of 50 yards or more. And it really starts with, with a few guys, Blake Corum, number one, he, he's the home run threat. Hassan Haskins is, is the between the tackles back who who's really right. going to wear down the defense. And then they bring in Blake Corum as the change of pace. And, and he had really big plays both against Ohio state and against Iowa to break those games open. Donovan Edwards, the freshman running back has continued to have a bigger role throughout the season. He really came on strong late in the season. They used him on a trick play against Iowa uh, that really opened things up. You know, AJ Henning is another guy, uh, a wide receiver who does a lot of different things. He can catch the ball. He can carry the ball on jet sweeps and around that type of thing. So Michigan has some, some explosive players. And I really think that's been the key for this offense this year. They've done a better job of getting the ball in the hands of their best players. Uh, and it's really paid off. So you had a good story on Josh Gaddis and, and the evolution of, of the offense and of him over the last few years. And and I remember when, when Michigan hired him, you know, he was coming from Alabama. He'd spent most of his, his time with, with James Franklin at, at Penn State and at, at Vanderbilt. And you kind of wondered, okay, what does this mean for the offense? And it, it feels like it took a while to get where they were going. But when did it really start to click into place in terms of identity for that offense? <laughs> Yeah, it really wasn't until early, early this season that you started to see Michigan really take on an identity because it was always going to be difficult to, you know, to blend what Josh Gaddis wanted to do with what you associate with a Jim Harbaugh offense because Jim Harbaugh, you know, West Coast offense, pro style offense has a pretty ingrained offensive identity. And then Josh Gaddis came in from Alabama wanting to do more RPO stuff, more, more up-tempo, more spread stuff. And, and you just wondered like, how is this going to fit together? And for the first couple of years, you know, it was, it was pretty dicey. It, it didn't always fit together. Uh, and then before the season, I remember Josh Gaddis saying, that he really wanted to make a, a firm commitment to the running game this season. And people wondered like, what does that mean? Like, does it mean they're going back to more of the Harbaugh stuff? Does it mean they're giving up on some of the stuff that Gaddis wants to do? And it took a few games to really understand what he was getting at. But then you started to see it early in the season that, that Michigan did have the ability to be an explosive offense that still build its identity around the running game and Michigan has leaned heavy to the run this year. Uh, but they don't just, they don't just run it up the middle. They do a lot of different things. It's a diverse running game uh, that allows them to utilize a bunch of the explosive players that they have. And, and that blend of, you know, some of the Harbaugh stuff that has come back into the offense with the Gattis stuff, you know, that, that he really specializes in it. It's been a really good blend this year. I, I do love in your story, you talk about it. You bring back a quote from August 2019 when, when Gaddis goes, you will never see a six offensive lineman <laughs> formation. And then, and then you show a clip of them from this year where basically 
there are nine guys on the line of scrimmage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not all on the line of scrimmage, but but there, there are nine guys lined up in the box essentially, and then the quarterback in the back on a short on a fourth and two play. Uh, it, it is amazing how they've been able to marry those concepts, and and it's almost as if you know in today's game there's a way to dominate in the run game. You don't have to be Bo Schimbeckler's team to dominate the run game. You can do it in different ways. And it feels, it feels like Michigan's found a lot of ways to do that. Yeah. That's what Gaddis says. It's like when, you know, when you talk about being a dominant rushing offense, it's not just like the battle of Gettysburg in there on every play. It's like, you can spread the field. You know, they're a power spread run game. Uh, and, you know, and they've brought in some different concepts. They hired Matt Weiss from the Ravens as, as their quarterbacks coach. Uh, and you started to see some influence from the Ravens run game come into Michigan's offense this year. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, I wasn't sure how it was all going to fit together. And, and I had questions. A lot of people had questions, but they've really married it up really well uh, to have a really effective rushing game this year. Speaking of influences from the Ravens, they hired Mike McDonald, as the defensive coordinator from the Ravens. And uh, he's come in his first year as a, as a defensive play caller has been fantastic. How did he change that group? Obviously he had a lot of good pieces to work with, especially Aiden Hutchinson and, and David Ajabo, but, but how did he change that group from what we were accustomed to seeing from Don Brown? Yeah. The thing everybody said after last season was that Michigan needed to be less predictable on defense, you know, Don Brown kind of had his identity of, of the scheme he wanted to run. Uh, he wanted to blitz a lot. He wanted to play a lot of man coverage. People knew what was coming and knew how to attack it. And the theme with Mike McDonald was this defense is going to be m- more multiple, uh, going to disguise things better, disguise coverage better, disguise pressures better. Uh, and that that's really, you know, that's really been the evolution for this defense is to, uh, you know, be a defense, you know, that can do more things, uh, a defense that can bring pressure from different places. You know, obviously it helps to have two edge guys like Aiden Hutchinson and, and David Ajabo. You know, when you can get pressure from those guys without having to bring extra rushers, that opens up a lot of different things that you can do on the back end. Um you know, but but really, you know, he's just Mike McDonald's ability to use different personnel uh, and and mix the looks more. I think has has just made this Michigan defense harder to attack. You know, you see a lot of times it's like offenses aren't really sure, you know, how to attack this defense, uh, and, and it's allowed them to really take a big step forward on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Ohio State game; they looked hesitant, whereas. You know, Ohio State in years past against Michigan knew exactly what they wanted to do, knew exactly where they wanted to attack, and and they just couldn't figure it out. Uh, let's talk about the quarterbacks in this game because it feels like so much is riding on their shoulders. Obviously, Stetson Bennett's going to have to figure out how to avoid that pass rush, how to read all those mixed coverages and, and fronts and, and things that Mike McDonald's going to throw at him. Meanwhile, Cade McNamara he'll be relied upon to make plays. There are going to be some third and fives and third and sixes where they're going to have to get it through the air because you just can't get that on the ground all the time against Georgia. Yeah, and that's really been, you know, that's where Cade McNamara has has excelled this year is, you know, you watch him play. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not the most accurate quarterback. And the question with Michigan all year has been when they need Cade McNamara to make a play, can he make a play? And pretty much every time the answer has been yes. I mean, 
there have been some games where Michigan really needed something from Cade McNamara, whether it was the Nebraska game, the Penn State game, uh, you know, close games, fourth quarter. He's delivered. Um, and he is going to have to do that in this game. This is not the type of game where Michigan is just going to be able to run it 50 times and, and call it a day. Like they are going to need Cade McNamara to make, to make some throws on third down. And one thing Michigan has been really good at this year is avoiding the negative plays. And a lot of that's Cade McNamara. He doesn't take sacks. He doesn't throw interceptions. Um, the, you know, they, they're running plays, even if they're not big plays, they always get positive yards. So there's going to be a lot of those third and four, third and three, third and six type plays. Um, and that's where Cade McNamara has been really good this year. And, and he's definitely going to have to be good in this game too. What, What's the the situation where they're they're going to go to JJ McCarthy because they've sprinkled him in throughout the season and in some pretty big spots. It doesn't seem like they're shy about putting him in there. So what are they trying to get from him when they pull Cade McNamara for him? Yeah, it's always a tricky thing to play two quarterbacks. Uh, you know, there's the potential for that to go bad. Uh, but Michigan's really, you know, they've managed the Michigan it Michigan State well. game, it did. It did. Yeah, that was so, really the yeah, that yeah. was the one time this year that it that it did bite them. Uh, but for the most part, they've managed it really well. Um, really bringing JJ McCarthy in the game is to add the quarterback run element. Um, he, he is a, a dynamic runner. You saw that in the play in the big 10 championship game where he's like sprinting ahead devastating of lead block ahead of Blake Corum. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so he can do that a- and you know, he's thrown the ball some and he can, you know, he's got an arm, he can throw the ball down the field. It, it's always uh, an adventure sometimes when he's running around back there. Um, but he can make plays. And I, I think his athleticism is really the thing, um, that Michigan gets when he's on, on the field, uh, you know, forcing the defense to respect the quarterback run element in a way that they wouldn't have to, if it was just Cade McNamara back there, that's, that's really what you get from McCarthy. So Austin, what does Michigan have to do to win this game and earn a spot in the national title game? You know, I think they, I think they just need to do what they've done all year, which is number one, you know, avoid the the self-inflicted uh, issues. Can't have turnovers, can't have penalties, can't have negative plays, which that's been Michigan's formula all year. And I think that they need to stick to that. You know, they're going to have to have a couple big plays. Uh, I think that you know, whether it's Corum, uh, whether it's Donovan Edwards, whether it's A.J. Henning, uh, going to have to make a couple big plays, but can't live that way. You know, that's what Josh Gaddis said uh, earlier this week is that, you know, they may not get as many big plays as they've made throughout the season. Uh, but if they can avoid the negative plays, then they've got a shot. And, you know, I think that if, if this is a game in the twenties, I think Michigan can win it. If, if they have to score 30 against Georgia's defense, I, I don't feel as good about that. Uh, but if they do what they've done all year, I, I think that they're going to be in the game with a chance to win. All right, Austin Meek, enjoy the orange bowl. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Michigan's opponent, In Miami Gardens, Florida, the Georgia Bulldogs. They were number one for most of the season. They're coming off a big loss. How do they bounce back? Our beat writer Seth Emerson will tell us when we return. For the Gators, Richardson will operate on the shotgun snap in his end zone. Will take the snap, lean down, and just run to the five. And now it just carries the pile, driving and being pushed. Georgia took the ball away. Nolan Smith took the ball away. He scored in the end zone. I think it's a touchdown. 
Boy, that pile just kept moving and moving, and it looked like we were stripping at the ball the entire way. Joined now by Seth Emerson, our Georgia Bulldogs beat writer. He is joining us from lovely South Florida. And uh, Seth, the Bulldogs are all there now. There were, there were a couple stragglers. It took a while to get them in, but everybody's there. George Pickens, JT Daniels. How is Georgia mentally right now? Because the last we saw them, the most dominant team in the country all year was getting its lunch eaten by Alabama. What what is what is the same for the Bulldogs as, as the rest of this year? What what's been different since that game? It's hard to tell, Andy, because you're not around the team very much in the era of COVID. I mean, we had some in-person interviews in Athens, but you know, you're, you're not hanging around them like you normally do. I remember four years ago, accompanying the team to Disneyland uh, for you know the, the Rose Bowl activities and some other stuff. And you could just tell that the team was loose. The team was enjoying the moment because this was new and Georgia had, had, you know, this, this, wasn't the season that they were supposed to be having. It was special. It was great and just great memories. And they were coming off the win of the SEC championship this year. I would imagine it's, it's the opposite. You know, they, they were, they were supposed to be in this position before the season started. Like people said, maybe, you know, they don't beat Alabama, but they were, you know, people had them pegged as this is a playoff team. Well, they, they did everything in the regular season to prove that and then fell on their face starting in the second quarter against Alabama. And that had to leave a mark emotionally. Uh, I, I think what you will, we'll find out. This is one of those things where we'll find out later the -hmm. kind of things Kirby smart is saying to motivate them. And other coaches are saying to motivate them um, in the lead up to it. But the way I kind of look at it is they, they just need to win a football game. They need to go out and win a football game and get some confidence back. And I do think the matchup with Michigan is, is a fortuitous one. It's, it's, or, or it could go the other way. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but they, they, it, they're, they're facing 2017 Georgia, basically. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're facing a team with a better running attack, but can make passes off play action and stuff and a very good defense. Um, and if Georgia's defensive line run defense performs like it, should and kind of cancels out what Michigan does best then Georgia's in good shape. That that's the thing that's very interesting to me is is we've all you and I've had this conversation a bunch of times about how oh Georgia needs to open things up and and that's that's how they can finally win a national championship. Well to get to play for the national championship, all they really have to do is be the Georgia they've been for the yeah. last you know five years under Kirby smart, like the, the old Kirby smart man ball team is the team that would be perfectly designed to win this game. Maybe, but they, they also like, they haven't been man ball. Like we, yeah. we uh, got to talk to Todd Munkin today. And I, I, you, I still hear from people who I guess haven't been watching Georgia or have their kind of preconceived narratives who are, who ask about like, you know, Kirby being man ball and, and not opening up the offense. I said, guys, the, the offense has opened up. I, yeah. I think you're kind of expecting a Mike Leach air raid kind of attack or something, but that's they, they, they are taking their personnel, which by the way, they're very good at tight end mm-hmm. and they were injury 
laden at wide receiver. So they've used their tight ends a lot in the passing game and as blockers because their offensive line isn't this road grading line. But like the Stetson Bennett starting is kind of a symptom of that. JT Daniels would be the safer option because he would sit back in the pocket and kind of throw more traditional passes. And maybe you could do a little bit more of those air raid elements, but Stetson Bennett is the guy who goes back there and scrambles, right? He's the guy who, who goes and does the extra stuff with his mobility. And Todd Munkin was kind of just laying it on thick today uh, in a good way on like that, that Stetson Bennett is the guy they believe in that gives them the best chance at win winning. Now I would, debate that i'm not absolutely sure they're making the right decision but it, it's it's what they believe yeah and to i i'm kind of going sideways on what you asked me um, it's fine. but i it, it is interesting because michigan is 2017 kirby smart the current georgia team is is an updated version even though a lot of people don't want to believe that kirby smart has evolved well the, the stetson bennett piece of it is interesting because Given what Michigan is really good at, probably best at, you know, with those, with Hutchinson and Ajabo, I mean, those two guys wrecked Ohio State's offense. C.J. Stroud is a good quarterback, mm-hmm. and they wrecked them. And mm-hmm. Bennett feels like he gives you a better chance of if one of those guys gets loose in the backfield, Bennett might be able to get away and throw a ball away, avoid a negative play, or make something happen. Mm-hmm. J.T. Daniels doesn't seem like the kind of guy who could make something happen against that. JT Daniels has a quick release. His his uh, timing on getting rid of the ball has been good, and he's a vi- he's much better on third down, just pure pocket passing right. than Bennett. And obviously, third down is when the defense's pass rush is going to tee off. But I've said from the beginning when the playoff matches were set, matches up, yeah, that weirdly, as many people, including me, wondered whether they need to go to JT Daniels whether Stetson Bennett just was kind of exposed again against Alabama. I said, but the thing is Stetson Bennett is a better matchup for the, there's a better quarterback perhaps for Michigan. And then if you get past Michigan and you're facing uh, Alabama again, then maybe that's when you go to JT Daniels. I'm not sure they think that way. I'm not sure that you go back to JT Daniels. If you win, I I think coaches tend to just kind of ride the hot hand and, and don't want to change horses when you're winning. Uh, and you can, you know, stop me there. So I don't utter a third straight cliche, but (laughs) I, I, I think like on paper. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not sure this is the game you go back to JT Daniels. So let's talk about Georgia's defense because that Alabama game was the first time that they had looked even close to mortal yeah. all season. Did Alabama unlock something that, that someone else could take advantage of, or do you need a quarterback as good as Bryce young to make that work? I think you need a quarterback as good as Bryce young. Um, that's not to say that Cade McNamara can't do it also, but I, I said in the lead up, to the Alabama game that if Alabama is able to run the ball in Georgia's defense, then basically all bets are off game. Right. If you can run on Georgia, Alabama did not run the ball on Georgia so much as they ran the ball to keep 
the defense honest. I think their mm-hmm. final numbers were, you know, the numbers looked solid, but it was Bryce Young doing the work. Like it, it was, and he had four runs Bryce Young did. I'm counting the one where he ran and then lateral the ball to Robinson. Right. Um, but as something that was going to be a problem for Georgia, if other teams were able to expose it, if they were able to have time to throw the ball. I mean, the thing was that Bryce Young had time to throw the ball. And so mm-hmm. that's going to happen against a lot of secondaries out there. I mean, you look, you give a high school team enough time to find an open receiver against an NFL team, at some point somebody's going to get open. Yeah. And th- yeah, so that that was the problem. And, and whether it was Georgia's defensive strategy being off um, or, you know, or just Alabama's offensive line playing out of its mind, because I remember being at the game, sitting next to Aaron Suttles, saying, and Aaron Suttles looked like he didn't know what was happening. Yeah. It's like, I haven't they, seen they this hadn't offensive played that line game protect all season. Like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know so much whether Georgia was exposed so much as, but you never knew that the pass rush would fail Georgia the way it did. Right. And, and it feels like it's very similar to, to Michigan needing to put pressure on Stetson Bennett, which we assume Michigan can do that because we've seen Michigan put pressure on everybody. But we saw Georgia put pressure on everybody until they didn't. Mm-hmm. If Georgia puts pressure on Cade McNamara, it would seem like Michigan will, will struggle unless they just stay way ahead of the chains with the run game, which against Georgia, that seems like a pretty tough yeah. proposition. Well, and, and the thing that might scare you a little bit if you're Georgia is that you're going up against a very good line. They won the Joe Moore Award. Mm-hmm. And... George is not getting Adam Anderson back. And when Adam Anderson um, was sat down after the Florida game because of the rape charge, which he, he denies, but he's, he's suspended indefinitely. Georgia can't play him with that hanging over his head. Um, Georgia got by the next four games, but they weren't exactly playing a great bunch of teams. And then they ran into Alabama and the pass rush was missing and, and you are seeing less of just pure bull rush one-on-one beating guys. Uh, so I, I'm not sure the pass rush automatically returns this game for Georgia. Um, it might come back down to take away Michigan's strength, which is the run game, and really make it about Kate McNamara being able to beat you. Um, and, and I'm not saying Georgia won't get any pass rush, but get enough. You know, Get them, yeah. get them into some third downs, and that's when you can tee off. That, it does feel to me like whichever it is, Cade McNamara or Stetson Bennett, whoever makes a, a few plays out of those two, that's the team that's going to win this game. Like Because mm-hmm. they seem fairly evenly matched pretty much everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so George is favored by seven. We're, we're saying they're evenly matched everywhere else. So does that mean that Stetson Bennett is seven points better than Kate McNamara, the much maligned Kate well, Mac, or much is, maligned is, Stetson is Bennett? Is Georgia's I mean, passing game seven points better than Michigan's passing game? So is, is Stetson Bennett with, it was during the regular with Darnell Washington with George Pickens yeah. better than that, that group? 
Yeah. I mean, people want to, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody last night um, who has uh, gone against Georgia's offense this year. And even he referred to Georgia's strength as the running game. And I mean, I don't know if that's the case. I think their passing game, I mean, they were balanced, you know, they were, they were balanced in the sense that if other teams gave them more running ability, like Arkansas kind of backed off, like had a bunch of guys back and Georgia was like, okay, we're going to run the ball. Um, and then a Kentucky kind of does the opposite and they say, okay, now we're going to pass the ball. They were able to do both, but they should be a better passing team now because of the return of George Pickens, because Darnell Washington is entering game nine or 10 healthy. Jermaine Burton and Kiaris Jackson are healthier. Dominic Blalock, I'm not sure how much of a factor he'll be, but he's going to be playing his fourth game. They, they've got weapons that they didn't have. For instance, when, when people saw them, I, I feel feel like Andy, a lot of people tuned in to see Georgia win a 10-3 slobber knocker of a game against Clemson when they didn't hand out. And then they saw Georgia lose to Alabama and they, they kind of still have this impression of Georgia that that is misplaced that this is, this is a team that now should have a lot of weapons and should be, uh, should be able to put up points even against a Michigan. I, I, I think the, the formula is there for them to, and look, this isn't baseball where you have innings. I mean, everything kind of hinges on field position and, and stuff like that. So offense and defense are more connected, but you do feel like there's enough there for Georgia to get somewhere in the range of 24, 28 points and to hold Michigan to 10 to 17 points and, and get out of here with the win. But obviously we, we know it never ends up as clean as we expected. Where, where, where is Pickens right now? Because He's probably the the most special talent in terms of pass catchers in this game, but mm-hmm. he's also just coming off an ACL injury, just coming back. How healthy is he? I mean, I would I would say he's probably in the range of seventy five to ninety percent. The guy I saw make a thirty seven yard catch where he came back for the ball, so it wasn't the normal like you know, high wingspan, leaping, grabbing, acrobatic catch. Um, I don't know that we'll see him make that, uh, but he doesn't need to a lot of times. He's He was more than just a flashy sideline catcher. Um, he's, he's a problem for other defenses when he's fully healthy, and I don't think he will be now or if Georgia makes the national championship, but – He's a guy that even at 75 to 90% is going to be better than most wide receivers out there. Um, he's a weapon. Uh, they need to use him more. Uh, they need to use Darnell Washington a little bit more. Um, and we'll, we'll see if we'll see if they do. All right, Seth Emerson. It's going to be a fun one. Enjoy the orange bowl. All right, Andy. Thanks. We've pretty much talked into the ground. Not much left to do but play the games, and they are happening on Friday, New Year's Eve, ringing in the new year, with two teams ready to go at it in the national title game. The next time you hear from us, we'll be right after the semifinals. We'll break down both games and the two teams that will play for the national title. We'll talk to you then.